today on Compassion Radio. Rwanda, Bridal Life started working there a little over a year ago, 2023. It's just a beautiful story. Bonefis is the director, his wife's name is Phoebe. Bonefis and Phoebe survived the genocide in 1994. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can remember that. Over a million people were butchered and killed with uh, shovels, machetes, clubs, machine guns. Hello, friends, and welcome back to a new week of adventure on Compassion Radio, the daily radio journal of God's people in the act of taking His words seriously. Last week, we reacquainted ourselves with the tremendous work of an international group in Poland that grew from a homeless ministry to what is now a movement in eight countries and on three continents, all because one man obeyed the Lord in one simple thing. When the Holy Spirit nudged him to buy three cups of tea and give them away on a cold night in a Polish train station, he said, yes. If you miss any of those earlier conversations, I hope you'll take some time to stream the podcast of those programs at CompassionRadio.com. Today, we'll pick it up with a quick recap of Richard Dungesser's answer to a question of prayer in the face of serious persecution. Thanks for joining us today. Brooke was praying on the same wavelength as the Holy Spirit himself. Yeah, yeah. I think even for my wife praying for me, but us as believers from around the world, Mm-hmm. We could be praying for each other. Yes. A lot of our brothers and sisters are going through such persecution like this. Yes, daily. We can stand with them in that struggle and what they're going through. And you saw things in Pakistan that were going to be echoed very soon thereafter in Manipur, India. I spent time talking through all this with John Padiety of Bibles for the World and their ministry in Impal in that area of northeastern India next to Burma. Yeah. It's been horrendous for them as well. Yeah, It's not a foreign thing to the experience of Christianity across all of South Asia right now. So I'm honored that you have the opportunity to stand with them and be with them and crawl through the mud and get under the blankets to sit with those who didn't know if God remembered them. Thanks for being willing to be there. Well, thank you, brother. I'm glad. Those two other times I tried to get to Pakistan, God closed those doors, so he allowed me to be there at that moment. He put a real pain in your neck to keep you away from it at those times. He did. He got a disc for that. I know we're not even in chapter two yet of the story of what's happening in Pakistan, but tell me how chapter two is beginning. You know, before I got there, we had uh, several programs that were already running. We had a goat project, you know, that we've been giving kids goats. And when the goat gets pregnant, we sell the the baby goat. Mm -hmm. It's able to pay for the school fees for a year. Awesome. That was ongoing. And it's it's beautiful, too, because no matter how much money you have, you still need to be faithful in even the smallest of things. Yes. So we, we teach and educate the children that when that goat sells, that 100% of the money belongs to God. Mm. And God has entrusted that to that child. So they, they tithe on it. They save. We teach them to give. And then they use what the goat was intended for as well to, to pay for school. So we've seen them tithe. We've seen them save. We've seen them help other children buy school books and other things so they can go to school. So that was ongoing, this, the GOAT project, the sewing skills project, educating men and women in the skills necessary to help create income for their families. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was ongoing. So feeding of the hungry and the homeless and uh, helping to rescue children out of slavery. They're forced into slavery at a young age, either working the rice fields, yeah. the brick cauldrons, whatever it is. So that was ongoing. So this persecution happened when I was there. And so I wanted to respond somehow to, to help those that were persecuted because the destruction is, I mentioned before, like generational destruction. Yes. You, know, when you make so little to replace a refrigerator that costs $400 and you make 
$80 a month, yeah. you're basically living to feed your family, to put clothes on the back of your family and to get a new refrigerator, maybe in a few years, if that, to get a new bed, a bed frame, new clothing, a new front door, mm-hmm. the front door burned, destroyed, ripped off, everything gone. Yeah. We've had several donors start to, to give. And so we've helped uh, over a hundred families now with getting new doors, you know, your plumbing completely gone, getting new plumbing, new electrical, uh, new beds, new bed frames, new trunks. You know, they have these big metal trunks mm-hmm. uh, with their, their blankets and their winter clothes. Those were lifted, doused with gasoline and lit on fire. So we're getting new trunks. And um, it's just a joy to see God's provision because they're Christians are praying, God, you're my provider. Yeah, Everything is gone. What? <laughs> Like, I trust you, but like everything's gone. And then a knock on the door and our Bread of Life team is there. Hey, we're here. Mm -hmm. How can we help? People, I think, are just utterly shocked. As far as I know, I haven't heard of another organization yet that's been able to to be there in this area. And it takes our team, I think, a lot of boldness and courage to be there to help these families rebuild. Yes. You know, the children and the moms and the dads, you know, there's still a lot of fear in, in the air. But to see God's provisions of these things that are taking place, is just unbelievable. Yeah. It's the most beautiful thing. And one really cool thing, like when we translate bread of life into Urdo, it really translates mm-hmm. as, as Jesus. Okay. We want Jesus to be proclaimed. And so people are able to see like the bread of life, the sustainer, which is Jesus, and not just from somebody, but they're able to give God the glory, give God the credit, and give God the thanks, because these things are coming from him. When we read the scriptures, if we go into it deep enough, people start teaching us what the names mean. Mm. And we start learning that Yahua HaMashiach means God saves. He's now come to save. And then you hear stories like this where the only functional equivalent in their language means Savior, the person that's going to make this come to life in you spiritually, emotionally, physically, all these things. You're sustained in all ways. Like the functional name of Jesus is going to be in their language, bread of life. Yeah. You didn't know that when you were handing out cups of tea and then moving on to pastries and stuff in a train station in Poland. And here you find yourself in a corner of Pakistan, crawling through low-lying rubble to get to people to discover that Jesus is already there. Yeah. Yeah. He's there. And it's, it's amazing, too, because the students that we have and some of the workers in our sewing projects that we have, they're like, hey, we're going to donate our time and volunteer as well. And so we're making a thousand jackets to give to people in in these areas because they have no jackets for winter to come. And so from scratch, they lay out the material, they lay out the patterns, Mm. you know, they make the sleeves, the stuffing, the insulation, the zippers, the pockets, the collars, and they're making it by hand. So they'll be making a thousand jackets to be distributed uh, for this winter to those that are in need as well. Become givers while you're learning how to receive. That's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Even in poverty, they're able to, to give to the Lord and help other people. Okay, Richard Dungesser still with us from Bread of Life Ministry, Poland, Ukraine, Pakistan, and now we'll talk about a couple other countries before we're gone with this conversation today. Richard, tell me about where else God has led you in the past couple of years that is big on your heart. Overall, God took those three cups of tea in Poznan back in 2001 and asking God to multiply this to help, you know, feed the 5,000, make sure everybody gets a cup of tea. We're now in eight countries. So in Europe, we're Poland, Ukraine, and Moldova. Africa, it's Ivory Coast, Zimbabwe, and Rwanda. Asia, it's Pakistan. And then since God brought us back during COVID, we started here in the United States of America as well. Very good. So 
My most recent trip was to Rwanda, where Bread of Life started working there a little over a year ago. We started just this May 2023 in Rwanda. It's just a beautiful story. Bonefis is the director. His wife's name is Phoebe. Hmm. Um, Bonefis and Phoebe survived the genocide in 1994. I'm sure a lot of the listeners can remember that. Over a million people were butchered and killed with uh, shovels, machetes, clubs, grenades, militias, machine guns. And unfortunately, literally speaking about butchering, uh, that is an adequate description of what happened and the kind of violence that was perpetrated against those in an ethnic cleansing effort. The Hutus were tired of being looked down upon, and they turned the tables and then picked up a weapon. And they were goaded on by seriously evil people. So the media was amplifying the hate. Yep. And in a very short time, the West could not believe it was happening like this and in such intensity but they were roaming the country looking for anybody who would identify with Mm -hmm. a group that had supported the Hutus to go after them. Yeah, And I had this experience, too, of going through the streets and realizing that you could not, within eyeshot, see a group of people without seeing somebody who had a scar, Mm. some kind of scar, like a, a white mark across their forehead, or were missing the lower part of their arm. Now, the survivors of this genocide were not people who avoided violence, They were the people who survived the violence. Mm. It was like everybody who was under attack has something to show for it, even physically. You could not travel through the country without seeing it all around you. It's like this entire generation will be a testament to itself of what violence does to an entire country. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. So Bonefeast and Phoebe, I'll tell the story in a second, but he took me to the Genocide Museum. I don't know if you were Mm -hmm. going to go there and keep going. Yes, I did. I went there. And uh, I've been to Auschwitz in Poland close to 10 times, you know, with different mission groups and people wanting to go and tragic all around the world when things like this happen. But having a survivor, not in his 80s or 90s, you know, still at our age, walking me through. And I had English headphones on and I was taking my time. They said, you know, no videos, no, no photos. I wanted to honor that, but I really wanted to gather all this information so I can make sure to remember it. So walking through, taking my time and reading what was written, you know, like you said, they even had, you know, their documentations and it had, you know, your hootsie or whatever, like your name in there. So they knew how to identify you as well. And then Bonefeast comes and grabs me and like, hey, I want to show you something. And there's that room that has all these photos. I think it's about 3000 that's in there. And he took me up to a photo. He's like, this is my aunt and this is my uncle. Mm. It's mind blowing that something like this, this evil could take place. And I remember, you know, when I returned my headset, telling the lady behind the counter, I said, I'm just so sorry for what you guys have gone through. And I walked out with Bonefeast leaving the, the museum, just speechless, eyes full of water, you know, that these things take place. And, you know, as humanity, we think we always arrive. Yeah, <laughs> we've arrived and, you know, things like this don't happen anymore, but they still do. Yeah, it was a very humbling afternoon being there with Bonefeast. So Bonefeast, growing up orphan foster, not really having a home, he always saw Europe or America as a destination, the promised land to go to. Yes. And so when he graduated from college, he and his wife were married and he came to Poland. That was his promised land. He worked really hard to get Mm. there. God opened the doors and he came to Poland. They had a job. And when they got there, too, they had their first child. So they were living what they thought was God's leading. Yes. It wasn't that they lacked money. They had money for what he was doing and everything. But after, I think it was about six to eight months, he and Phoebe, they didn't feel the peace Mm. of God. And they knew that there was something more. And so they moved from one town of Poland to Poznan, and they started coming to the Poznan International Church. And that's where we met. Mm -hmm. Our whole family was there that summer. It was last summer. 
my wife felt instantly in love with Phoebe, you know, wonderful lady and her child at the time. And and they came, we invited them to come to a Bread of Life camp working with international kids, Polish kids, plus Ukrainian refugee children. And they just jumped in, they were serving and they were engaged. It was after that camp at that moment, Bonefeast came to me, he says, I know why God brought me to Poland so I can bring the hope of Jesus and Bread of Life back to my country of Rwanda. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And now, back to the broadcast. They knew that there was something more. And so they moved from one town of Poland to Poznan, and they started coming to the Poznan International Church. And that's where we met. Mm-hmm. Our whole family was there that summer. It was last summer. My wife fell instantly in love with Phoebe, you know, wonderful lady and her child at the time. And and they came, we invited them to come to a Bread of Life camp, working with international kids, Polish kids, plus Ukrainian refugee children. And they just jumped in, they were serving and they were engaged. It was after that camp at that moment, Bonefeast came to me, he says, I know why God brought me to Poland mm-hmm. so I can bring the hope of Jesus and Bread of Life back to my country of Rwanda. Wow. And so we started conversation talking about that. What would that look like? Is this something that's from God? After all, he made it from Rwanda to Europe, which he knew was a promised land for him. So he starts telling family and everyone back in Rwanda, we're coming back. And they're like, wait a second, <laughs> you're moving backwards. I think this is just something from God. When God calls us to do something like this, you know, it's not of the flesh because the flesh would be like, hey, I'm in Poland, I'll move on to Western Europe, or I'll move on to other places, income for money, for whatever it is, things of this world, or even for a safer place. Yeah. But he and his wife moved back to Rwanda, and I was there in September, and we were talking, I said, hey, it's kind of like, you know, Moses, he went out to the wilderness, God took you to, to Europe as your wilderness to come back and help to lead your people. He says, how do we start, mm-hmm. you know, such an organization as we've established in Poland and other countries, how do we start that in Rwanda? So we talked about the framework, all this other stuff, you know, legal status. I said, but the way that you actually start it is you take a cup of water or you take a cup of tea, you go to the street and you give it in the name of Jesus. It's more than just paying it forward, which is great. I love that concept, but it's really doing it in the name of Jesus. It's literally sowing a seed. Yeah, he did just that. He went to the streets in Kigali where he grew up. And started finding kids that reminded him a lot of himself mm. and started sharing Jesus with them. I said, you know, this is beautiful. It's wonderful. I said, but we need to build a team, a good team that can support the work there locally in Kigali, you know, from having lawyer or social workers or, or whatever it is, start to identify the need. And so the team approached and we work a lot like in Poland and other places. We work closely with churches, but also with the government, knowing that we can have an influence in helping the people in society. Because with all the organizations that we have in this world and with governments, there's still needs. So we we know that we can have a huge impact in, in the community this way. 
And so he reached out to an area government in Rwanda and says, hey, we want to help. And so we were able to help identify some of the poorest of the poor up in the mountains of Rwanda, some of the most malnourished people in, in Rwanda. We have our team together and we've already started identifying and helping fight malnutrition okay. in Rwanda. And it's beautiful. One of the ladies, Leah, she's a phenomenal nutritionist in Rwanda, has something like close to 40,000 followers on YouTube in her practice on nutrition. And so she's helping us to put together the right education that we can educate people. Because sometimes in some families, they're extremely poor. Yes, but there's enough resources to get the right nourishment but they just don't know what the right nourishment is. My impression of what was happening in Rwanda is that in many ways, they're immensely wealthy in some physical resources, whether it's mineral or some parts of the food triad. You can grow whatever you want within that group. But there are other things about Rwanda that are desperately poor. Mm, yeah. That there's a lack of nutrition in certain areas like protein and stuff. So even rebuilding their understanding of what is possible and what needs to change it's tough because you're dealing with bringing something new, a foreign idea, a foreign food to some place that they have not ever grown before, they've not ever raised before. But you know that this will actually save them and actually give them viable children in the future to build their communities, and they will not be suffering from great deficits emotionally, physically, and mentally as they go through life. So you got to be brave about bringing a new idea, a new transformative idea. That's going to help them with the new generation, but it's not easy. So how is it for your people so far and how has the reception been? The reception has been great. Uh, and I think because Bonefeast and Phoebe have put together such an amazing team of people, highly educated, yes, but they have the heart to serve. They have the heart mm -hmm. to travel three or four hours, you know, to go bring people hope. And like up in this mountain area where we're at, you know, these kids and, and, the, and the parents, they really have almost nothing. They live very, very poor. Some live in social housing, but it's not social housing like we might think. Mm. It sticks in mud. Right. I don't know, like the size of maybe like a closet here in America. You know, you got a family of four or five living inside of that. And there's a lot of stuff that you like use recycled UN tarps or something like like a oh yeah. Kind of like a Tyvek siding you might see on a new house being built in America. That material that they use to kind of keep the, the rain and wind out while they're building it. Yep. Is the kind of stuff that would be the outside and then packed in with mud and laid over with sticks, become kind of like a, a tutor <laughs> kind of mud packing look to it. Yeah. Yeah. And the children, like even like their shoes, they have, you know, they're they're very cheap, like flip flops to begin with or sandals. But uh, you look at them and they've been sewn together yeah. again and again. The soccer balls or yes. all the plastic bags <laughs> that you can tie up yeah. and then tie string around them. You know, and that you got your soccer ball. Imagine trying to kick that thing downfield. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but the team, though, even like helping mothers who are even pregnant, saying, hey, nutrition starts now when your baby's yes. in the womb. We're working with the director of social services, the director of health in this area. Council of people came out to the event and the directors of social services and health. And they were just thrilled with our partnership together to be able to target okay. these individuals and help them get the help that's needed. Because we know, too, that malnourishment really affects the the child and the development, um, yes. education, everything else. So we can break that generational cycle of malnutrition and already start to change the trajectory of these children that they can create the jobs, get better work and provide better for the future generations. And you have to have that future generation vision, because I know that in lots of parts of Africa, that the pecking order is the young, strong men who are the breadwinners or are the people that would defend the village, get the food first. Mm -hmm. And so they'll eat everything they want and whatever's left over then goes to the lower children and women. 
often the last person to eat in a village is going to be a pregnant woman, which we would know that if you're looking beyond just today, the first person that needs to be fed and cared for should be the one carrying the future in her own womb. Yeah, true. And that's a spiritual shift. So how are your people able to get that word across and help them to see something they may never have conceived before, that the women are not just important because they do work for you during the day, but because they literally carry the future? Yeah, this is true. You know, this is one of the things, too, that we've been really from the very get-go that God's even laid on my wife, broke her heart in Pakistan, is really going after and empowering the women. Because in many cultures, they they do get pushed to the side, become secondary or not even become valued at all. And it's a really big push within Bread of Life to target and help these women through the education or getting them food and then also creating sustainable food sources for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like this next project, we're trying to, you know, gather funds for a thousand fruit bearing trees, avocados, other types of trees and create these gardens for them in their particular homes. Until you go, you've been there, or unless you've seen like a a village in Rwanda or maybe other parts of Asia or Africa, we talk about a home, it's like a sick hut. It's chilly, it rains, and you can get maybe a little garden, but really try to empower them to create the sustainable food sources extra that can supplement from what they already get. And we're also starting other micro projects there for sewing, like we've done it successfully in Pakistan. So we want to do the same thing in, in Rwanda is able to empower the women also with sewing, creating things, haircutting, salon, nails. And these mm-hmm. are some of the simple things that the team has shared with me that they want to do and we're doing. So it's really able to help in that way. The men, like one particular home that we went to, we took a lot of aid up into the mountains. The road was good, was asphalt. I was really impressed with the roads there. Yeah, they're really good. Uh, but once we got off the asphalt road, it was quite bumpy. Then we got onto another road that even the vehicle that we had was four-wheel drive. We all had to get out and walk. Yeah. <laughs> so the vehicle could go the rest of the way and carry the aid for us. And we even got to a certain point where the vehicle couldn't go anymore. So we loaded up the aid on ourselves and continued to walk another 30, 45 minutes to a home, you know, where the father, he walks up to two to three hours each way, mm-hmm. even in that. I asked him, how much money do you make or how do you get paid? He says, sometimes I just get paid in food. I could bring food home to the family. So it's this type of poverty type families that we could bring these sustainable food sources to fight these insecurities that they're dealing with on a daily basis. Very good. And that continues to grow. I imagine there's lots of energy stored up in these young people. And it is immediate for them because they're the first generation of the orphans of that kind of genocide that know what would happen if we slip back. So they're looking forward, but they're looking forward right where they are and not looking forward across the world saying somewhere else will save me. The people you raise up, Richard, are the kind of people that God turns their heart and their minds back to the people from which they come because God cares for who they came from and those who were left behind too. So there's no steps down in God's plan and your people seem to be called forward in so many different directions that they never expected to go. And I imagine that'll keep happening as you keep meeting people from different countries through your Bread of Life ministry and through the International Church in Posen. So is this the chapter you're in with Rwanda? Is there something else you're expecting to happen in 2024? Or are you just going to kind of ride the expedition along the way and see what happens? We're already talking 2024 with uh, our team in Rwanda is to go to the country south Burundi Mm. and start work there in 2024. What we're able to do, and they've already identified uh, people there as well that need the help. And so we can multiply ourselves and start work. Leia and uh, some of the other team members, their goal is not just Rwanda. It's uh, actually sub-Saharan Africa. The whole stretch. Right, it's a whole stretch. This is an area that's twice as big as the contiguous United States. It's not a small area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But I truly believe God gives these these visions to people yes. specifically to carry out his will here on this earth. And so I look forward to seeing that growth, that development. We've been given our status in Rwanda as like a what we might call a nonprofit or a 501c3 here. Mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing how things grow because we've laid a really, I say we, I mean like the team there in Rwanda, like together, we've laid a really good foundation. And so we know that once the foundation's in place, which of course, which is Jesus Christ, because no one else can lay any other foundation yeah. for others to build upon. So I expect, you know, things to even grow and develop even more so. Okay. I hope you'll thank God for faithful kingdom servants like the Nungessers, and that God will continue to prosper the work of Bread of Life Ministries around the world. There's more from Richard coming up on tomorrow's program. Compassion Radio is still the radio voice of the global church, and that's completely due to the Lord's provision through you. Give online today at CompassionRadio.com or call us at 1-800-868-2478 or write us P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877.